What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Harbin here with you. We've got a huge show today. Phil Rucker is going to be with us about their uh, new book about I Alone Can Fix It. Uh, Was Donald Trump really running a coup? And we'll get to that in just a moment. I want to get into this whole issue of the question, has the Republican Party become the party of mean, bullying white men? You know, they bullied America on January 6th. Now they're bullying society with their anti-vaccine and anti-masking, and they're bullying their their partners, uh, too. We'll get into that. And and does that mean that Trump's ability to influence his power over the Republican Party is waning. And in this hour, I want to get into, uh, well, Phil Rucker is going to be with us. I want to get into this uh, GOP freedom scam that I was writing about at Hartman Report. But I think the top news of the day, and it's certainly all over the right wing websites, is the Delta variant, the new news about the Delta variant. Anthony Fauci was on, I believe that this broke on Chris Hayes' show on MSNBC. The White House, as of right now, is requiring everybody to wear masks, regardless of vaccine status. And, of course, the right wing is just hysterical about this. We we, we thought the vaccines protected people. What What are you talking about? Here's what we think we know, right? They're compiling data, and they're looking at the statistics over at the Centers for Disease Control. But what they found was, with everything prior to the Delta variant... If you had normal COVID, if you had the alpha variant, if you had, you know, there's dozens of variants now. If you had any of those things before, the sicker you were, the more virus you were shedding. So if you had, and this is the way most diseases work, right? You see somebody, I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of trained for this. You know, we've, we've, we've uh, you know, grown up becoming used to this, that, you know, when we see somebody who's sick, we back off a little bit, you know, hey, wait a minute, you know, you're sick. I, you know, I don't want to get that. So we know that, you know, if people are really sick, they're probably really contagious. The cold or the flu or whooping cough or measles or whatever it may be. And then we, we kind of modified that knowledge in the modern era. We didn't know this, you know, 100 years ago, but we certainly modified our knowledge in the modern era that, oh, people can also be contagious for a day or two before they show symptoms. 
But then, you know, we would know once somebody showed symptoms, if we were exposed to them a day or two before, we'd start, you know, being careful and not exposing other people because we might transmit it. This is how it works in the flu. So, you know, this is how we're kind of conditioned. This is what we've learned. We, number one, we assume sick people are always contagious. And number two, we learned that, you know, some people can be even contagious a few days before their symptoms. But what about people who never show any symptoms of an illness? We've really never, to the best of my knowledge, now somebody tweeted to me, I tweeted about this last night, and somebody tweeted back saying uh, pertussis works like this, and I can't verify that. But what about being able to get a disease from somebody who shows absolutely no symptoms at all? It's always seemed like, well, that's just not possible, right? Somebody doesn't have the flu, they don't have the flu. Somebody doesn't have a cold, they don't have a cold. Somebody doesn't have measles, they don't have measles. I'm not going to get it from them, right? Well, here's the problem. When people are fully vaccinated and they get the Delta variant, now if they get any of the other variants, if they get any, you know, COVID or whatever, and they're fully vaccinated, even if you get COVID or the Alpha, you know, the UK variant or anything like that, if you are very mildly sick or have very few or no symptoms, then you're not all that contagious. There's very few virus in your nose and it's breathing out through our noses and mouths, virus in your nose and mouth, it's breathing out through those parts of our body that is how we spread the virus. It's not coming out of our lungs, it's coming out of our nose and mouth. So what Dr. Fauci was saying on Chris Hayes' show and what you know numerous stories are now reporting is that the Delta variance is unique in that Yes, it doesn't take down your lungs. You don't end up in the hospital. You don't get terribly sick. You don't die, right? 99% of the people who are dying, over 99% of the people who are dying are not vaccinated. And 97 plus percent of the people who are in the hospital are not vaccinated. But with the Delta variant, while it won't infect the lungs, it does not still infect the nose and the mouth, this area, which is where all these viruses come from. And so people get the sniffles, they get a sore throat, they lose their ability to smell. You know, they get this, this head infection, which isn't terrible. I mean, people can still work with that and everything, but, but the problem is that they're, as they breathe out, they're expelling as many viruses as somebody who's laying in the hospital sick and dying from, from, from COVID because they weren't vaccinated. So what the vaccine does is it totally protects us, but it also allows people who are vaccinated to still be vectors of the disease, which was not the case with any of the other COVIDs. And so the CDC is now saying, you know, everybody wear a mask indoors all the time because you don't know if you're infected. And you might be the guy who's infecting everybody else and you might be working with somebody who is immune compromised or does have severe asthma or isn't vaccinated or even they might be fully vaccinated but now you're going to infect them. They're not gonna know that they're sick. They're gonna go home and there's grandma who's immune compromised. Or there's their 10-year-old son who has, you know, who can't get a vaccine. So it's like the world just changed on us. 
And to the best of my knowledge, like I said, and maybe maybe you know of some disease where this is the case. I mean, I'm I'm not a physician. I'm you know I'm I'm a reporter, as it were, on these kinds of issues. Uh, but to the best of my knowledge, we've never had a disease where people who have no symptoms can can spread the disease as aggressively as somebody who has a fulminating illness, somebody who's actively and obviously sick. Now, the right-wingers are apparently not able to process this. And I realize there's some complexity to what I just described to you. And I'm assuming that, you know, because you listen to this program, you're smart enough and have, you know, enough of a, a functional thought process to follow what I said and to understand what I'm saying and what Dr. Fauci said. But over at the writing, you know, this newsletter for right, you know, that tells us about the headlines on the right-wing news sites, PJ Media, who are the idiots who think the CDC now has any credibility pressuring people to get vaccinated while you're telling them that those who are vaccinated still need to be wearing masks, you know, isn't a winning message. Why are they saying this? Because they're all morons. That's PJ. The NOQ report. What vaccines say about the precarious state of our freedom? Free people don't stay free by blindly trusting everything government officials say. The government's handling of the China virus is a great reset, spreading communist China's totalitarianism far and wide. <laughs> Seriously. The red state, the headline, Biden begins to insult Americans who aren't vaccinated. Big league politics, the headline, COVID cases increase in counties with higher vaccination rates, declining in counties with lower rates. Well, apparently that's because this is the Delta variant and people who are vaccinated can spread it. And this is what we just learned. And it's why we're saying, hey, wear a damn mask indoors. But, you know, like I said, the right, the right wingers are, are apparently, you know, intellectually impaired. Fox News, new mask guidelines are about politics and control. Tucker Carlson, a rational person might conclude that there must be something very wrong with the vaccines. Maybe they don't work as intended. But no, the administration assures us that the vaccines work perfectly. They're miracle drugs. Okay, so why the masks? Well, Tucker, the masks, because even though you're vaccinated and even though you're not going to get sick and die, you can still spread this disease, which is something we don't want to do. So, you know, like I said, I think this is the number one story in America, and it's something that, uh, but but because there's a certain amount of complexity associated with it, it's going to be too difficult for the right-wingers, and maybe even a challenge for our mainstream media. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? That's because I love you, Tom Harmon. Now, check this. Now, we're sitting up here with an epidemic like we've never seen before. Now, the leading medical biotechnicians in the world are the Cubanos, the Cubans, right? They've gone all around the world helping save people, uh, save different countries from this virus, right? right? And yet, what do we want to do? What do we want to do? We want to put an embargo on them, sanctions on them, and we've been picking on them people for a long, long time. We need to cut this out. You talk about the right-wingers, you talk about the right-wingers, and you're right, but Biden is apparently a progressive. He's on this side, and that's a progressive move right there. It's wrong. We need to embrace those people. They don't need more sanctions. They need some help. we got to start working together. somebody got to change this. We I can't agree. Play, you know what? And i got another one for it. Let me let you go with this. You know why a lot of people ain't taking that them shot? Let me tell you why. You're working all the time, so you probably don't watch no TV. But if you watch these old TV programs, right, uh, uh, Law and Order and stuff like that, 90% of their ads 
or dope commercials, and you wouldn't believe the side effects. And then the same company that paid $26 billion because they uh, abused people with the dope are the same people making the stuff for us now. And we wonder why we don't trust them jokers. Yeah. You see, that's the problem we got. Yeah. That's all I want to say. I need to calm yeah, down. No, I, I, I get it. The, the pharmaceutical companies, uh, you know, we have a schizophrenic relationship with them, Morris. You know, it's, it's like on the one <laughs> hand, you know, you get sick and you want to get a drug. You go to your doctor and say, give me something to fix me. Right. And then on the other hand, you watch the TV commercials and they go, you know, hey, yeah, you need to take this pill to reduce your whatever. And oh, by the way, side effects include instant death, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. You know, your teeth will all fall out. You're, you know, you're going to go blind. I mean, and, and, and we're like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. You give me some time. Thank yeah. you. Oh, it's always good talking to you, Morris. Thank you. This is a challenge. And I think Morris highlights the fact that, you know, as much as conservative media would like the world to be a very, very simple place where it's all good guys and bad guys, yes and no, black and white, it's not a simple place. You know, you go back to the old Myers-Briggs psychological survey, and one of the things that, that it measures is, are you a judger or a perceiver? Which I think is fascinating. People who are judgers tend to see the world in black and white. Everything is right or wrong. There's, there's no, they don't see gray. They don't see the, the stuff in between. And, and the judges apparently make up about 20% of our population, if I'm remembering my Myers-Briggs stuff from 30 years ago correctly. And perceivers, people who see shades of gray, are you know, a larger 70, 80% of the population. Perceivers can, can understand complexity, can see that, you know, yes, this, this, is, this is wrong, but, you know, not always. Like, you know, I mean, you know, probably the classic example for the right-wingers that you can confront them with is, you know, hey, it's wrong to kill, except with the death penalty, right? Um, so but it, maybe that's not the best example, but some people can understand these shades of gray and these pieces of complexity, and some people can't. And I wonder if there's an overlap between judges and authoritarians, you know, we, we had John Dean on the program talking about Robert Altmaier's book, and and John Dean's, you know, actually he's got an even a newer book out about, you know, these these uh, authoritarians and their lean toward fascism. You know, what's that all about? Anyhow, a lot to think about, and we'll continue the conversation on that in uh, in just a moment. But first, I, I have to tell you about uh, this Republican freedom scam. It is it is going nuts. Tom Hartman here with you. So my rant, as it were, over at uh, HartmanReport.com is titled The GOP Freedom Scam Laid Bare. There's a restaurant in California. This is just, you know, a great piece about this, by the way, over at Daily Co's. A restaurant in California is now requiring proof in order to be seated and served in this restaurant. You must provide to them proof that you are not vaccinated. Seriously. The owner told the Los Angeles Times, we choose to fire another missile of defiance to further make our point in defense of American liberty and freedom. And, you know, Republicans have been running this freedom scam for a very, very long time. Right? John Sununu, uh, earlier this week, signed a new bill called the Medical Freedom Act of New Hampshire. 
that makes it illegal for any public venue to require vaccinations to, for attendance. In Florida, Ron DeSantis signed a new freedom bill that says the cruise lines can't require proof or, or Disney World or anybody. Nobody can require proof of vaccination. You know, a dozen Republican states now have passed laws that, that largely hit small businesses saying you can't require co, you know, proof of vaccination to come in. Um, here in Oregon, the Freedom Foundation, another one of these right-wing organizations, uh, has sued our governor to prevent freedom, uh, to prevent vaccine passports. And, and Nebraska's billionaire governor, Pete Ricketts, uh, says he's opposed to requiring proof of vaccination because it limits freedom. Now, this process of redefining freedom in the Republican Party literally started in January of 1921, exactly 100 years ago this year, when Warren Harding, the, the guy who became president on January, on, in fact, it might have been March, actually, it was March 6th of 1921. I guess I should edit this because uh, you know, we changed when presidents become uh, presidents from March to January. Uh, during the, the Franklin Roosevelt administration. But anyhow, when, when uh, Warren Harding said, we're going to deregulate the banks, we're going to deregulate the stock brokerage houses because of freedom. And, you know, to this day, Republicans have been slapping the word freedom on everything they can find. Remember, the, there's the Freedom Caucus in Congress, right? This is the, the I call them the Cokehead Caucus. They're the ones who are all supported by, by the Coke Network. Um, Trump's Department of Energy re renamed uh, methane, natural gas, as freedom gas. Remember f freedom fries in the House cafeteria? There's the Freedom from Big Tech Caucus that Josh Hawley has started and is pushing in Congress. They're the ones complaining that Donald Trump isn't on Facebook and Twitter. Republican voters are apparently such suckers for anything that has the word freedom on it that the youngest Bitcoin billionaire, a guy by the name of... Um, Eric Finman is selling these uh, Chinese, cheap Chinese uh, cell phones, kind of generic. They, they'll make them with your brand on them. He's selling them as uh, freedom phones. They're apparently more vulnerable to hacking than normal phones, by the way. But I would make the point that this is just a complete scam, that you're not free if you're old and broke. And that's why we have Social Security, to guarantee freedom. Although the Republicans want to hand it over to Wall Street. You're not free if you're hungry. And that's why we have food stamps, you know, SNAP, although Republicans want to end that. You're not free if you're homeless, which is why we have housing assistance and homeless shelters, although the Republicans want to do away with those things. You're not free if you work 40 hours a week and still can't meet basic expenses, and that's why we have a minimum wage in unions, although the Republicans are trying to destroy both of those things. You're not free if you're sick and you can't get medical care which is why we have Medicare, Medicaid, and Obamacare. All, and well, there's a big rally on Friday, by the way, uh, you know, to expand Medicare, but that's why we have these things. You're not free if you can't read, which is why we have free public schools. And we should have free colleges, but the Republicans are trying to privatize our schools and ban you know, or, or you know, maintain a trillion and a half dollars in student debt. And, of course, you're not free if you can't vote. And Republicans have passed anti-voting laws in more than one-third of our states now, voter suppression laws. Which raises the question, how are they going to rebrand their voter suppression laws as freedom? I'm guessing they're going to say it's freedom from fraud. That's my prediction. We'll see.
But I guarantee you, they're going to figure out a way to slap the word freedom on these voter suppression bills as well. It's totally bizarre. The whole rant with the links and everything is over at HartmanReport.com. We'll pick up your phone calls on the other side of this break. What do you think about this? How is this COVID uh, information going to change your life? You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And how do you think America is going to respond to this new COVID information? And will the right ever be able to figure out something this complex? Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And welcome back to our program. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, on the line with us is Phil Rucker. He and Carol Lennig are the authors of I Alone Can Fix It, Donald J. Trump's catastrophic final year. Phil, welcome to the program. Welcome back. I believe you've been on our program before. Number one, uh, one of the things I find most fascinating about your book is how it is not quite consistent with the official Pentagon January 6th timeline. Can you tell me about that? Well, first of all, Tom, it's so good to be back with you. I have been on the show before and always love talking to you. So Thank thanks you. for having me today. My pleasure. You know, I can't speak to the Pentagon's official timeline. All, all I can do is, is describe the reporting that Carol and I did for this book, I Alone Can Fix It. You know, we talked to many sources in and around the Pentagon, a, a total of 100, more than 140 senior people in the government, advisors to the president, and even the president himself uh, to construct our narrative of this final year. And what we learned about January 6th is some gripping detail, minute-by-minute accounts of what was going on inside the Pentagon, the decisions that General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and Chris Miller, who was the acting defense secretary at the time, as well as other 
top officials in the military, the decisions they were making about deploying and authorizing the National Guard and other elements to the federal response to what was happening at the Capitol. Well, you're reporting a phone call at 4.39 p.m. between uh, Chris Miller, the acting secretary of defense, or arguably the acting secretary of defense. Uh, Trump put him in there in defiance of the law that says that the assistant secretary of defense, who was I believe Senate confirmed was the guy who's supposed to be the But in any case, between the acting secretary of defense and the White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, you're reporting on that. The Pentagon somehow didn't, along with Mitch McConnell, apparently was on that call as well. Any idea why the Pentagon might not be telling us about that? You know, I, I don't know. I, I really don't. I do know that there were a ton of phone calls that took place that afternoon uh, in and out of the Pentagon, including with congressional leaders who were obviously, as you can imagine, very anxious to see a National Guard footprint at the Capitol as soon as possible to help fortify um, the, the Capitol Police, who were clearly uh, under siege and outmanned up there, but I don't know why that particular call was not on the Pentagon timeline. I think it's absolutely fascinating. I, you know, it's, it, 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 uh, but you know, I'm not going to ask you to speculate. You're, you're the reporter and you're just doing the solid stuff that you know, and I really appreciate that. Um, I don't know if you caught Chris, well, thank you. Chris Caldwell's piece in this morning's New York Times, uh, what if there wasn't a coup plot, General Milley? But he's basically raising the question, um, you know, was January 6th a coup or was it a protest that was out of control? And, and actually, and then he, he takes it even a step farther and says, well, you know, here's, here's the note. He says, uh, Americans have not usually looked to the military for help in regulating their civilian politics. Now, a, I'm not sure this is civilian politics. I, you know, it concerns me that, you know, this uh, conservative is even characterizing it that way. But um, your thoughts, was this a coup or was it a protest that went out of control? Well, at a minimum, it was a protest that went out of control, uh, but it was more than just a protest. There, it clearly was an organized event. Um, people arrived in Washington from all over the country. Some of them came with weapons, with zip ties, with bear spray, with maps of the Capitol and the inner corridors. I mean, there was clearly an intent on the part of, of some, if not all, of the demonstrators that day, the rioters that day. Uh, to do more than just protest the election. Mm-hmm. Um, they were trying to, to cause harm and, and do violence. And that's not my speculation. That's according to uh, the filings that have been made in court uh, and the law enforcement charges that have been made against many of these individuals. You know, whether that amounts to a coup, I don't know. But clearly they wanted to reverse the election result and prevent the election from being certified on January 6th which would, I, I would argue qualifies as a coup. And then there's the old joke, you know, what is, what, is, what do you call a failed coup attempt? Uh, a rehearsal, uh, you know, which, which is very troubling. I mean, this is the point that, that uh, yesterday was made by Liz Cheney, that if we don't mm-hmm. figure out what happened and figure out ways to prevent it from happening, every four years, you're gonna have another January 6th. Your thoughts on that? I, you know, I think she's exactly right, and I think you know, our reporting for this book uh, revealed to us in a, in a new way just how harrowing this moment was for the leaders of our country and for the leaders of our military who feared a coup and feared something catastrophic could really happen. And, you know, just because Trump is out of office doesn't mean that the threat has been extinguished. Uh, his supporters continue to believe that the election was stolen and rigged 
and and want vengeance and want in their view justice and i don't think they're going to rest quietly until they have it and it's a very dangerous thing for the country uh the misinformation is contributing to it obviously um but you know trump is no longer in the white house but it doesn't mean that that he and his followers do not pose a threat uh, to the functioning and perseverance of our democracy. Phil, it's a brilliant book. I confess I have not had time to read the entire thing. I've, uh, I've read some, some fairly substantial chunks of it, but I didn't. Uh, well, you've I, got to carve out some time this weekend. <laughs> I, I, I will. Uh, we're talking with Phil Rucker, by the way, the co-author of I Alone Can Fix It, along with Carol Lennick. And, um, but uh, my understanding from, from some reporting that I've read, like in newspapers, you know, and, and things like that over the last year, is that there was the, the, this phrase, stop the steal, was actually something that uh, Roger Stone came up with in 2016. And they had put together this plan when Hillary Clinton was elected that they were going to have stop the steal protests and they were going to, you know, not so much that they thought that they could overturn the election necessarily, but that they would use this. Uh, as a way of basically smearing her throughout her presidency as an illegitimate president, sort of in the way that, uh, you know, for, for the first, uh, uh, until 9-11 anyway, George W. Bush was, was uh, somewhat crippled in his ability to get things done and his, and his public approval ratings by the perception that the Supreme Court had decided the election on his behalf and, and that he wasn't quite a legitimate president. Um, any, any, uh, did you get into that at all? Have you, do you know anything about that? Well, that's a really smart point. And, you know, I think, um, and, and you're right to say, to point out that Roger Stone, uh, had developed this strategy back in 2016. And, and it would not have surprised me if Trump had executed the strategy, uh, were he to have lost to Hillary Clinton. That, of course, is not, um, how history unfolded. But uh, but it, it, it is exactly into Trump's playbook that if he's going to lose, uh, he's got to come up with some way to discredit the winner and to make it seem uh, like it was stolen or unfair or that he had been somehow victimized yeah, well, in the process. That's and, the way Trump thinks about the world. Yeah, and he's certainly done it very successfully. Phil, we're going to hit a break here in a minute or so. I'm, I'm wondering what you think is the most important message of your book that you want our readers and viewers to know about. Uh, we're talking with Phil Rucker, the co-author of I Alone Can Fix It, this brilliant new book about the last year of the Trump presidency. Thank you. Well, w- what the book does, what our reporting in the book does, is just takes you behind the scenes in a, in a vantage point we haven't seen before, uh, just because of the depth of, of new material and dialogue and the actual nitty-gritty of what Trump was doing, what those around him were doing and saying uh, throughout that year. And our big takeaway, frankly, is that things were a lot worse than we knew in real time. And they looked pretty bad in real time. We watched a lot of this play out on, on live television. And yet, when we went back and talked to people who were in the room and did this deeper investigation of the year 2020 and Trump's handling of it, it was so much worse in what, every what way. What does that mean, COVID a lot worse? The racial protests. Give me a, a, an was, example. The, 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 the comments that he made privately about the coronavirus were harrowing. He, he, didn't, he didn't want to bring back American State Department workers who had been in Wuhan, China. He didn't want to let them back into the United States because, <coughs> excuse me, because he thought it would increase the number of 
infections in the U.S. and therefore hurt him politically in the election. Just things like that. And then, of course, the way he was spreading misinformation in the run up to January 6th. Yeah, this is grim stuff. It's it's a, a brilliant, brilliant reporting. Phil Rucker and Carol Lennick. And Phil, thank you so much for dropping by. The book is I Alone Can Fix It, Donald Trump's catastrophic final year. Phil, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Great talking with you, as always. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. Oh, and somebody flagged me with an example of a disease that gets spread where people don't know they have it. Remember Typhoid Mary? Okay, so uh, just uh, as I'm, I'm going to pick up your phone calls here in just a second, but John Maynard Keynes uh, via Paul Samuelson, a tip, to, tip of the hat to A.J. Everett. When my information changes, I alter my conclusions, said John Maynard Keynes. What do you do, sir? And this is what's going on here. And then I, I, earlier I was saying, you know, I don't know of any other disease where somebody can be completely asymptomatic, never get sick at all, and yet they spread that disease. And it turns out that, that there is a disease. It's called Salmonella typhi, or typhi, uh, also known as typhoid, typhoid fever. And uh, typhoid Mary, Mary Mallon, this was in the uh, 1930s. Irish-born cook, and it's believed that she infected 53 people with typhoid fever, three of whom died, and she was identified as the first known asymptomatic carrier of typhoid in the United States. So, um, yeah, very interesting stuff. Steve in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Man, I don't know where to begin. Uh, let me rant a little bit. Um, I live in Missouri. Now, Missouri is a state where you don't want to get any information on COVID because you're not getting any good information. Um, you know, one of the reasons why we are so bright cherry red, multiple county nurses in our state resigned during this pandemic, and they haven't resumed those positions mm. because they were threatened by people. And um, I'll give you my own county. Uh, county nurse, she resigned because the gun store owner in town threatened her children. You're kidding. They, he had, for, yeah. for being a nurse? I mean, I, I, what am I missing here? For the mask mandate. Oh. She was trying to do was, she was, okay, there was over 300 businesses that stormed the courthouse down here demanding that no one wear a mask in my store. Um, huh. So... The gun owner, he took it upon himself to hire somebody to spy on her children. And uh, he threatened her. The FBI came in. And within the last, I'd say, six months, that gun store is no longer there anymore. So the FBI is actually doing their job. There's just there's so many of these incidents happening all over. Wow. That's got to be it's tough living there, Steve. Well, I'll tell you this, and then I'll be done. My 86-year-old father, he said, son, he said, these people who do not want to get vaccinated, all they're doing is destroying their family. Yeah. Totally. And we're probably going to have children in foster homes if both of the family members die off. And if we drill into this, Steve, this goes back to two 
very simple things, and I think that this, this uh, message gets lost a lot. Number one, back in the 1960s and 70s and 80s, you had the fossil fuel industry and the tobacco industry telling us that we shouldn't pay attention to science because the scientists were telling us tobacco kills a half million people and, and fossil fuels are gonna produce global warming. And so they, and then of course you had the, the, the hardcore right-wingers saying, you know, creationism and, and evolution, you know, don't pay attention to that science, it, it conflicts with the Bible. So number one, you've got this anti-science bias on the hard right. And then number two, Donald Trump felt that if the election, you know, if the country responded to the COVID crisis, to this pandemic by shutting down, it would hurt the economy. Hurting the economy would hurt his chances to get reelected, and sure enough, it did. And therefore, he wanted to push us back to work and back to shopping, regardless of how many of us died, all to get reelected. And I, I, I think those are the two pillars that are holding this entire thing up. One of the things that's actually making it worse in our state is this honor system. You know, I can go to the hardware store and there's a marquee out there that says, if you've been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. You haven't been vaccinated, wear a mask. How do I know right. who's vaccinated, not vaccinated? Right. Now, I went to my local Walmart. What they, I found out what they do because I did a little experiment myself. Well, if you cough, not just a cough, but constant, mm -hmm. they're going to ask you to leave. But everyone else in the store is not wearing a mask. Right. Right. That is crazy. Yeah, it, it really and truly is. It really and truly is. Steve, thank you for the call. It's got to be tough. Jake in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. Jake, a little less than a minute here. All right, a quick one. Real quickly, thank you very much for your recommendation on that book about from Christopher Ryan about civilized to death. Mm -hmm. I have really enjoyed that. And third, and secondly, go to Wikipedia.com and type in the letters G U L O in the search bar. And read the article that comes up there, Tom. It talks about how we humans split off from a whole lot of other mammals. We're called the dry nose, and they're called the wet nose. And if you'll notice, even the minks that got the COVID-19 were good to go. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't. It didn't kill them. Right. And that has I mean, to that, do with what? The fact that we don't have wet noses. Yeah, well, it has to do with we don't make our own vitamin C, Tom. Oh, that's interesting. And it's 60 million years ago is how long that, that split took place. Huh. Fascinating. Jake, thanks. Our science minutia for the day. It's fascinating. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So uh, the Fox News host, who, if Tucker Carlson... And, and uh, Laura Ingram last night. Uh, I, I find this just shocking. We all watched the testimony of those four police officers yesterday before Congress. And Carlson came out and just, you know, went after them. And, I, I, it's, and, and, and Ingram... Uh, you know, basically ridiculing them and making fun of them. And Laura Ingram had best performance awards for a dramatic actor and, and stuff like that. Um, 
you know, uh, uh, and on Twitter, people are responding. You know, uh, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram mocked the Capitol Police after their heart-wrenching testimonies yesterday. Apparently, Fox News decided they wanted to send a message that police are not to be trusted and that they're liars. Um, is another one. Uh, Republican pundits are all blue lives matters as long as the police are beating up black people, right, or killing them. But until the police do their job and protect members of Congress from a deadly attack on the Capitol, suddenly they're not blue lives matter anymore. Um, another person tweets, these guys defended democracy, uh, uh, defend democ uh, they, democracy and Fox News vilifies them. Derek Chauvin, these guys being the, the police and, you know, the, the Capitol Police, Derek Chauvin murders a black man in broad daylight and they praise and defend him. Do you see the problem? Donald Trump is now promoting another uh, uh, very weird candidate. He's uh, this guy, Max Miller in Ohio. He's running for the House of Representatives. Uh, he has a record of uh, speeding, underage drinking, disorderly conduct, um, beating up women. His 18-month uh, his romance with uh, Stephanie Grisham, Trump's press secretary, ended when he, quote, pushed her against the wall and slapped her in the face. I mean, this, this is, <laughs> these are Republicans. And, and on top of that, you've got this uh, just amazing, I mean, it, it's not just bullies, but liars. Yesterday, Elise Stefanik, the number three Republican in the House, and, and Kevin McCarthy, the number one Republican in the House, both came out and said that Nancy Pelosi was the reason why there weren't enough police or enough of a police presence to stop the crowd on January 6th to stop these 10,000 Trump, you know, uh, maggot followers. Uh, Kevin, uh, Elise Stefanik, it is a fact that in December of 2020, Nancy Pelosi was made aware of potential security threats to the Capitol and she failed to act. She prioritized her partisan political optics over their safety. Turns out that's just a flat out lie. She's, uh, Stefanik also said, the American people deserve to know the truth that Nancy Pelosi bears responsibility as the speaker for that tragedy that occurred on January 6th. No, A, it's, it wasn't a tragedy, it was a coup attempt. And B, Pelosi had nothing to do with this. I mean, this is, this is as, as uh, uh, one of the members of Congress, uh, oh, it was uh, uh, Kinzinger, the Republican. He said, you know, uh, 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 these kind of allegations are like saying that a woman was raped because she wore the wrong dress. I mean, it's like you're, you're pointing your, your finger of blame, not at the rapist, but at the woman who got raped. You're pointing the finger of blame here, not at the mob that attacked the Capitol, but at the police and, and at the people who were the victims. Nancy Pelosi, I mean, they were trying to kill her. They were there to execute her. So what does this mean? What do we do with this? And I, and I want to add a third little piece to this. I'll be very brief. But it's starting to look like Trump's power to influence elections is fading on the Republican side. And my question is, is Trump at the end of his rope? Was yesterday really a turning point? To the Tom Hartman program. I'm increasingly convinced of that. And this Texas election result yesterday, I think, is, is an indication of that. We'll talk about that. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. 
With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is I Alone Can't Fix It, Donald J. Trump's Catastrophic Final Year by Carol Leonig and Phil Rucker. This is from the prologue. On January 20th, 2017, Donald John Trump became president, unskilled in the machinery of government and unmoved by the calling of the position, but aglow in the unmatched power. The first three years of Trump's term revealed a presidency of one, in which the universal value was loyalty, not to the country, but to the president himself. Scandal, bluster, and uninhibited chaos reigned. Decisions were driven by a reflexive logic of self-preservation and self-aggrandizement. Delusions born of narcissism and insecurity overtook reality. In those early years, which we chronicled in our book, A Very Stable Genius, Trump's advisors believed his ego and pride prevented him from making sound, well-informed judgments. His management style resembled a carnival ride, jerking this way and that, forcing senior government officials to thwart his inane and sometimes illegal ideas. Some of them concluded that the president was a long-term and immediate danger to the country that he had sworn an oath to protect, yet they took comfort that he had not had to steer the country through a true crisis. Trump's actions and words nevertheless had painful consequences. His assault on the rule of law degraded our democratic institutions and left Americans reasonably fearful that they could no longer take for granted basic civil rights and untainted justice. His contempt for foreign alliances weakened America's leadership in the world and empowered dictators and despots. His barbarous immigration enforcement ripped immigrant communities, uh, children out of the arms of their families. His bigoted rhetoric emboldened white supremacists to step out of the shadows. But at least Trump had not been tested by a foreign military strike or an economic crisis or a public health collapse, at least not until 2020. This book chronicles Trump's catastrophic fourth and final year as president. The year 2020 will be remembered in the American epic as one of anguish and abject failure. The coronavirus pandemic killed more than half a million people in the United States and infected tens of millions more, the deadliest health crisis in a century. Though the administration's Operation Warp Speed helped produce vaccines in record time, its overall coronavirus response was mismanaged by the president and marred by ineptitude and backbiting. The virus was only one of the crises Trump confronted in 2020. The pandemic paralyzed the economy, plunging the nation into a recession during which 
low-wage workers, many of them minorities, suffered the most. The May 25th killing of George Floyd, a black man under the knee of a white police officer in Minneapolis, ignited protests for racial justice and an end to police discrimination and brutality. Yet Trump sought to exploit the simmering divisions for personal political gain, quickly declaring himself your president of law and order and relentlessly pressuring Pentagon leaders to deploy active duty troops against Black Lives Matter protesters. The worsening climate crisis, meanwhile, was almost entirely ignored by Trump, who earlier in his term had rolled back environmental regulations and withdrawn the United States from the Paris Agreement. The president was instead preoccupied with stoking doubts about the legitimacy of the election. After he lost to Joe Biden, Trump fanned the flames of conspiracies and howled about fraud that did not exist. His false claims of a rigged election inspired thousands of people to storm the Capitol in a violent and ultimately failed insurrection on January 6th. The year 2020 tested the Republic. Yet the institutions designed by the Founding Fathers were still standing by the time Trump left office. America's democracy withstood the unrelenting assault of its president. Trump's cries summoned tens of thousands of angry citizens to Washington to overturn the election. But Vice President Mike Pence and scores of lawmakers followed their constitutional duties. There is a new good news story here, General Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, told the military brass at the conclusion of Trump's presidency. It's the strength of the country. There is polarization, but at the end of the day, the country did stand tall. There was a peaceful transfer of power. There weren't tanks in the streets. And the line bent, but it didn't break, end quote. Senator Mitt Romney, who often stood alone among fellow Republicans in his criticisms of Trump, said the president's attacks on democratic institutions amounted to one of the greatest failings of any president. Quote, I think as we all recognize, democracy is more than taking a vote, Romney said. We've had a number of countries take votes to quickly fall into disrepair from a democratic standpoint, in part because they don't have the institutions that allow democracy to survive. Attacking the institutions here puts democracy itself in jeopardy, whether it's our judicial system, our freedom of the, of the press, our intelligence community, the FBI. These things underpin the strength of our democratic republic. So he attacked those things along the way, and then in a final act, attacked election integrity itself. Those things, Mitt Romney said, have real consequences, end of quote. The characteristics of Trump's leadership, blazingly evident through his first three years of his presidency, had deadly ramifications in his final year. The book, I Alone Can Fix It, by Carol Leonig and Philip Rucker. So he, I find this story fascinating. There was this election in Texas yesterday, and it was a special House election. And it, Susan Wright was running against state, uh, Texas uh, State Representative uh, Jake Elzey uh, for the Texas's con, con, sixth congressional district. This is for the House of Representatives. Uh, Susan Wright's husband, uh, Ron Wright, had, was the first person in Congress to die of COVID. And so she's running for her seat. And she was endorsed by Donald Trump. And she was also endorsed by the Club for Growth, which was running ads in support of her. And Elsie was 
not endorsed by Donald Trump and was not supported by the Club for Growth. Now, let's make it clear. They are both crackpot, hardcore right-wing Republicans, and Elsie was not criticizing Trump. He was just silent about Trump, whereas Wright was sucking up to Trump, just like George P. Bush did, and, and, and Trump, you know, stabbed him. But, but in this case, Trump was supporting Wright, and she lost and she lost by five, six, seven points, as I recall, 56 to 40 something, and or 53 to 40, I'd have to look it up again. But anyhow, it was a substantial loss for the Trump-backed candidate. Is Donald Trump fading? Is his influence in the Republican Party? Keep in mind, these are two Republicans. Is it in the, in the Republican Party? Is that fading? So we got a lot on the table. There's a lot to talk about here. So let's pick up your phone calls. Jerry in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Good to talk to American Icon. And you're aging gracefully, too. Thank you. <laughs> Just curious. And, of course, I watched uh, part of the hearing, so it's four officers. You couldn't help but come away a little sad. And then I normally never go to Fox, but I did have them. I snuck over and watched. Tucker Carlson until I was nauseated. I had to leave. But I did want to see what Laura Ingram had to say. And of course, it was really disappointing. But I guess I probably would like to have your opinion. It was such a divide. And uh, me living in the, the Red South, I see a lot of the evangelicals that's kind of pushing this narrative. And uh, they've almost eclipsed. Trump with uh, their deity, Christ, so to speak. Can we, do we have time and distance to pull ourselves out of this? I think so. I don't think that we're headed for a civil war. Although, you know, when a third of the country takes, roughly, uh, takes a, a radical anti-democratic, anti-republican, a small r, uh, worldview, when they no longer believe in a, in, in a constitutional republic or a, a democratic republic, uh, Republicans tend to refer to us as a constitutional republic, Democrats tend to call us a democratic republic. They're both right. Um, but when you get a large chunk of the population that says uh, we need to change our voting laws, you know, so that people can't vote if we don't like the way they're going to vote or so that we can throw out their votes or so we can purge them from the voting rolls and things like that. Um, that's a that's a danger sign, and uh, you know that uh, the the South that declared war on the rest of us back in 1861 was about a third of the country numerically. Um, it, we've we've and and sometimes you know a third of the country rising up can actually change America. The the argument is made. In fact, Jimmy Carter makes it in the novel that he wrote about the revolution that uh, only about a third of Americans supported uh, separating from England at the time, you know, in 1776. And so uh, there's this myth that it was only 3%, thus the 3%ers, but it was, it was much more than that. It was somewhere between 20 and 30%, um, as well as we can reconstruct. So it is a, an extraordinary danger, Jerry, that these folks are embracing a, uh, a move toward uh, both theology or theocracy, you know, a government run based on religion, uh, ethno-nationalism, a government based on race, on, you know, a white nationalist state, 
and an oligarchy, yep. basically, you know, a government run by by the rich rather than all of us. And uh, they've been aggressively embracing it. So I'm, I'm very concerned. But I do think that at the end of the day, uh, good people will prevail. I, I, I really do. Um, so. Well, I'm like you. I'm hopeful. I do see some waning and uh, uh, some of the more. Uh, well, a lot of the, lot of, lot of the uh, largest mouth have gotten COVID and done a complete 180. So yeah, well, that's, I think maybe the COVID may help change it just a little bit. I, I think so. I um, think I really enjoy your show, and uh, I won't hold you up. You, I know there's several people waiting to, in line too, but there are the good work. Thank you. You're Thank you very much. Definitely an icon. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words, Jerry. Uh, David in uh, Pasadena, California. Hey, David, it says here you want to disagree with me. Yes, I do. And thank you so much for taking the, the call, Tom. Um, I'm, I'm a long-term supporter and listener to your show, but I have been really frustrated in the last six months or so with the kind of characterization, sort of gross stereotyping of the vaccine hesitant. It's kind of basically they're always being presented as um, QAnon, Trump-supporting, you know, tin hat-wearing nuts. And that's just not the reality. Sure, a lot of those people are like that. There's also a lot of us who are not like that. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is not a stupid man. My MD, who's a past president of the Board of Environmental Medicine and a Harvard-educated MD, is not a stupid man. And David, if, 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 they are, if they and you are arguing that we should not be taking these vaccines, then I would, I would say that you are stupid. And they are stupid. I am not. Uh, well, I am asserting that definitively. Yeah. And my response to that is, first of all, you're assuming that that's my position. It is not my position. My position is that there there are reasons to be vaccine hesitant. That does not mean that everybody shouldn't get the vaccine. I am not arguing that. I think, in fact, it needs to be an informed personal choice. Um, I, I think uh, that, I agree with you, and I think that that's what's happening. And you know, and I've had this conversation with Bobby Kennedy on this program over the years about, you know, uh, are we are we giving people too many vaccines, particularly children, early on, and things yeah. like that. And I think yeah. those are all conversations that we should frankly have, and that they're conversations that are very difficult in this environment to have. But with this COVID vaccine, and 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 in an environment where we've got a virus that has killed four million people on the planet that we know of, it's probably a uh, you know it's the, the number is probably at least four times that, and has killed at least six hundred thousand Americans that we know of, and it's probably closer to a million. Not getting vaccinated is virtually the definition of insanity, in my opinion. You know, well, let, let me pose it to you as a rhetorical. I mean, one thing I would say to that, so. So what do you what do you say to the fact? And, and again, I am not arguing that people should not get vaccinated. I'm certainly not arguing that the vaccines are, you know, like carrying some crazy nanotechnology or any of those ridiculous ideas. But what do you say to the fact that the the, the CDC's own numbers and reports of um, adverse reactions to the vaccine are are exponentially greater than we've ever had? with prior uh, flu vaccines. So for instance, to give you some numbers, in 2019, there were 150 million um, vaccinations for the flu. There were 89 reports to the adverse reaction reporting system of the CDC of, of, of death. And again, this is correlation, not causation, so let's put that out there right away. But there were 89 deaths. In the first three months of COVID vaccination, there were over 4,500 reported adverse reactions of death. 
So if you're a scientist, that kind of exponential change in correlation is something that is worth asking questions about, is worth talking about, is worth investigating. Sir, David, no, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. It's worth asking questions about. But because somebody got a vaccine and then subsequently died in a, right. when you've got 160 million people who've been vaccinated in the United States, and you've got probably, I don't know how many people die in the United States every year just from, you know, a zillion causes. But, you know, those, I guarantee you those 4,000 cases, if your number, and I'm just accepting your numbers here, which, which is always dangerous for yeah. me to do with just well, you saying can verify, somebody calls into a radio show. But I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. accepting them. But I, I'm, you know, I'm guessing at this point, nobody has done any kind of exhaustive follow through on those 4,000 people. Uh, number one, they have not. So it may well be that, you know, somebody got a vaccine and they were going to die in two weeks anyway because they were at end stage liver failure or something. And maybe you didn't even realize it or they had cancer or something else. So number one, you've got that. Number two, um, OK, you, 160 million people get vaccinated. Let's say that 4000 people did die. I'm not believing that. I'm not. I, you know, to the best of my knowledge, there have been no deaths that have been verified to have been caused by this vaccine. There have been a lot of side effects that have been verified. Most of them, things like sore arms or feeling sick or feeling like crap. But, you know, and, and, and those side effects are much greater than they are with a flu vaccine. Give you that. But 600,000 Americans who were not vaccinated are dead right now. Yeah, I, Isn't I, I 600,000 versus 4,000 something that would cause you to say, maybe I should get this vaccine? Absolutely. And that's why I use the terminology of vaccine hesitant and not anti-vax. It would not be rational to be uh, to be anti-vax in this regard. Um, but what I was pointing out to you is I, I was acknowledging that correlation is not causation. Right? We don't have you're right. The CDC has not reported any verified deaths as a result of the vaccine. Zero. I totally I, yeah, right. I agree. But they also haven't, to my knowledge, done any investigation. Oh, I guarantee you, David, that, that there are enough anti-vaxxers out there, you know, the hardcore crazies that you that you well, acknowledge and they, describe. They, Let me finish this thought. There are enough hardcore okay. crazies out there uh, who, uh, if somebody in their family gets a vaccine and then dies of, of any other cause or no, an unknown cause, they're going to be digging into that and trying to prove it. And if one person, if one person in America had been killed had died as a consequence of the vaccine and their physician said, yep, it's clear to me, this person had a response to this vaccine and it killed them. I guarantee you, you would know the name of that person. That would be the right's new Ashley Babbitt instead of, oh, the woman who got shot at the January 6th, it would be, oh, you know, it would be uh, David Johnson, the guy, you know, or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm your name and a random last name. Uh, you know, it would be, you know, that guy in, in, in Pasadena, he got the vaccine and he died and everybody would know their name. There hasn't even been one of those. And there and there are, uh, you know, millions and millions of Americans who are and particularly in the southern states who are absolutely believing the entire spectrum from what you're expressing, which is, you know, I have some doubts all the way to I'm going to turn magnetic. My RNA is going to mutate and I'm going to end up with a prehensile tail. Um, and. Right, but it's, it's and, and they would, they, you know, they would they would have they're looking for their martyr, David. They are desperately looking for their martyr. And they're not finding it. with you about the fact that they're looking for the martyr. Yeah, David, thank you for the call. And thank you for a, a rational conversation that disagrees with me.
It's nice to have a conversation even when we disagree. And I, I appreciate that and honor that, even though I think you're crazy if you're not getting vaccinated, uh, respectfully. So thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. And have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 